Yachmala! Yachmala! Welcome back, my chums! This is the Cult Film Showdown. I am your host, 8th Dan Stanadu, and I am super happy to be joined by my peeps. I got, I got Jack Hall. Sup, comrade? Comrade, yes, yes, very good, very good. And Nick Boxer. Greetings and salutations. What the fuck? I'm no peep. You're not These a three little yellow marshmallow things. <laughs> what the hell are you talking about? Kind of marshmallowy though. <laughs> I think you're gone over the edge. <laughs> I usually do. Taking way too many liberties. <laughs> and finally, finally, James Cotta. This this week I would like to refer to as James Olin Cotta. James Olin Cotta. <laughs> In honor of the of. You know, one of the directors of crazy movies, uh, Fred Olin Ray, and this is a Fred Olin Ray movie. We have. The... I'm, I'm wondering who who picked this movie. That was me. That was you. I was wondering now. Would you like to go back in time and instead pick a movie that has Sybil Danning in it? <laughs> yes, yes, I would like to do that. <laughs> that was a mistake. I got, I got. Um, I got stars in my eyes from Fred Olin Ray and Cameron Mitchell being in this movie and Carradine, and I'm like, oh, how could this movie go wrong? Well, now, <laughs> there, there are many, many ways. Well, what is the Seasons concept? <laughs> yeah, the Seasons concept is that this is a spotlight on Sybil Danning called Sibilance, and this is a movie. The movie does not do that. This is yeah. This is a movie that features Sybil Danning for approximately what two minutes. She yeah. she exits the exits the film at four and a half minutes in. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So she's in the opening scene essentially, yeah. and that's it. I'm watching this thing. I'm literally with 15 minutes to go. I literally slapped my forehead out loud like. <laughs> she's not going to be back in it, is she? <laughs> Does anyone have any trouble that? She knows she's trivia that she knows she's in this movie because that beginning, the opening scene could have been filmed for something else. It could have been any movie, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what I, a, I, like, did she owe Fred Olin Ray something that it was just like, oh, fine, I'll come out and appear in your movie for like 10 seconds? <laughs> fine. Maybe. It does, it does Maybe. feel like a, it feels like a favor for sure. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, I mean, this, at, at the risk of actually talking about the movie, it's yes. uh, it's <laughs> it is such a strangely constructed film that it does feel like 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 it's assembled from three different films. Um, <laughs> that <laughs> instead of short ends, it's leftover stuff from incomplete films. Yeah. Well, it's it's based on a Bram Stoker, uh, Bram, uh, Bram oh, Stoker. Stoker, thank you. Uh, novel. So, well, I, we should get, we should, we should let the the, the highlight of the podcast happen. <laughs> yes, and and does anybody know that it's called the tomb? Did we call it the tomb, or did we just get the just just get in? It's that movie without Sybil Danning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, the tomb and Nick Boxer. Yes, the tomb. Well, our protagonist. No. Uh, I, I was going to say protagonist because, well, he spends a whole lot of time on screen in the beginning of the movie. Uh, but no, uh, he's probably not the protagonist. Well, we we, we start off with uh, two, let's call them prospectors or archaeologists venturing in Europe. And after a deal with Sybil Danning, uh, 
goes bad, bribe a local tractor to take them to a tomb so they can raid it for a little extra cash. These two uh, adventurers enter a tomb, I guess you'd call it. It also kind of looks like a hole in a rock, not really a cave thing, where they discover... Uh, Egyptian priestess slash vampire who awakens and kills one of them and lets the other one go with a valuable piece of jewelry. I don't know why she lets him go because she's into really insistent on killing anyone who touches this piece of jewelry, but she does let him go who flees to America, splitting up the jewelry into two pieces and selling them to individual collectors. The vampire slash Egyptian priestess then flies commercial to America to kill anyone who remotely looks like they may have looked at the jewelry. And uh, she catches up with our, uh, our dude and kills him or enslaves him in some sort of vampire fashion. And the two collectors uh, start to realize that just Julie is special. And for some reason, it's up to the son of one collector and the niece of the other collector to team up to solve the deaths surrounding the jewelry. Um, yeah, that's what happens in this movie. Um it's not a well-constructed story. It's hard to follow. <laughs> yeah, and I, I have no idea why anyone in this movie does anything. I was going to say, if that sounded disjointed, well, <laughs> that followed the movie pretty well. Yeah, that was uh, that was perhaps your most in-depth and uh, accurate review of a film ever. And <laughs> I like that you called him an archaeologist when he refers to himself as a gynecologist. But... Uh, <laughs> And maybe the only good line in the movie. Oh. <laughs> so I, I have an opening question. So this movie is 84 minutes long. Um, considering that uh, John Banyan, uh, Banning, our, uh, our archaeologist, gynecologist, Tomb Raider, um, disappears for 20 minutes of that, who is the main character of this movie? Oh. I, would say it's, I would say it's the son <laughs> of the, 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 one, the one who's like – Going to college, but is old enough to have a college kid of his own. That one. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, probably. Although the niece is also somewhat close because she's actually involved right away. I mean, they're both involved right away, but it's just they're all everybody's like a secondary character that just keeps getting thrown into random scenes where it's just like, oh, and and then they swap them out for like. Uh, Cameron Mitchell's character, and then it's just like, okay, well, now we're going to swap in somebody Everybody else. Everybody in this is a, is, a, is a secondary character, except for Sybil Danny, who doesn't even reach that. <laughs> yeah, I'm not in, sure in, she reaches tertiary. Yeah. In Stan's defense, if you look at the posters for this film, uh, Sybil Danning is always in the in the cast in the like four or five person cast list. There are several posters where she's the lead name on the oh, posters. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so this is, this is classic. 
this is classic uh, VHS bait and switch. Oh yeah, uh, yep. And and the thing was is that when you look at this, I mean Cameron Mitchell, Fred Olin Ray, I mean like there's so many good reasons to want to watch this movie. Anyways, I figured that. You know, oh, well, even if Sybil's not in it, then how can it go that wrong? And, well, anyways, I apologize. And yeah. you know what? The only reason to watch this film wasn't any of them, but it was Kitten Natividad. Yes. who That, <laughs> that actually, you're right. That was completely worth it. <laughs> An extremely long, unnecessary nude scene. <laughs> She's uh she had a healthy long, young long career as like a go-go dancer and stuff, right? Like she was, uh, she was just like the 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 actress they got in if they needed a a jiggly scene. Well, I, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, and she she has yeah, two of my favorite movies of all time, taking yeah. it off and, and taking it, it all off. off. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> movies I hope we get to someday. <laughs> oh, I want to get to those. Oh. I also also Mich- I I think uh, Michelle Bauer. This is one of her only like mm. uh, acting acting roles. Uh, she did an enormous amount of uh, of softcore and uh, again like another actress known for jiggly films. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, and that she, in this she's clothed. Uh, I mean, it's not much clothed, but it's, it's not clothed. much clothed. Yeah, it's it's got clothes in quotation marks. Like it's a it's a thin layer of gauze. Is what she's wearing for most of it. <laughs> As the as the lead mummy villain, uh, Dracula mummy villain character, yes, yes, her acting was fine. Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that's what we were looking for was her acting in this case, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know, I don't know. I think this. I think we have a new nomination for worst uh, music in a film that we've done by the way. <laughs> the music in this film. It is, it is like, it's like pop song after pop song and one <laughs> worse than the other. It's unbelievable. I, I don't know how on purpose you could pick songs this bad. And yet they did it, I'm sure, not trying to pick them this bad. It was unbelievable. Like, this is just the worst soundtrack possibly it, ever. It's like instead of scoring, they hit shuffle as well. Yeah. Because at no time does the music match what's happening. In this movie, because I we we have what this movie calls an action scene where he's running, and it's the <laughs> slowest song ever. Oh, I know. Oh, I know. It's horrid. Cameron Mitchell just steals this film, though. Uh, no, I, 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 actually, so he's the soberest we've ever seen. I know. I was just about to say that he stole I, the I was, movie without being drunk. Like, what was the last? What was the last movie he was in? The one with uh, Frank Stallone. Was it that yeah, we saw? I think, I think so. See, I, I think a comparison to that role where he dropped like 400 F-bombs in a minute and a half of screen time, I don't think that this is that good a performance. That, to me, is the Cameron Mitchell I want to remember. Well, and, and of course it is, but, but I mean, he's got a pretty low bar to steal the movie from, honestly. <laughs> like, I mean, in, fair, in fairness, John Carradine is Mr. Ando Hebb in the, like, 30s, Five seconds of his screen time is pretty good too. I I now want to watch every film of like John Carradine's last ten years of his career because <laughs> they're they're all these like five minute John needs some work uh, gigs where he's like he does one day as a doctor or a scientist or a, <laughs> comes in he does a little 
does a little bit of business, a little bit of uh, of uh, plot exp- <laughs> of plot explanation, um, and uh, and then everyone moves on. He mostly sits at a desk. Yes. <laughs> I think we can all say, God bless the Carradines. Oh. I think we can all say that. Even if we're atheists, I think we'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, the Carradines give us much joy. I, w- I wanted to say that uh, Andoheb, uh, which is an odd name, the, uh, Dr. Andoheb is uh, John Carradine, uh, that is a name from one of the Mummy films, one of the Universal. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Isn't Banning also a name? So is John Banning, yeah. John Banning was the, the lead character at a two or three of the films. Because um, the, the Universal mo- uh, Mummy films cover like three generations of of uh, of this like one family. Uh, the last one takes place in like the 90s. It's amazing. It's, uh, that one almost made it into a season at one point. But it's... <laughs> the Universal uh, Monsters Mummy almost yeah. Yeah, the final, the final one, which is almost entirely made up of footage from the previous ones. Oh, that's tremendous. <laughs> it's like 65 minutes and like 15 or 20 minutes of it. Is yeah, let's go watch that and talk about that <laughs> instead of the Doom. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like we should get to the scoring. I don't think we have much left to say in one of our shorter episodes. <laughs> Why can't we send a new speed record? <laughs> <laughs> In our search for the ultimate B-movie, we rate each film in five categories, none of which are objective quality. The first category is called Schlock Appeal, and we start with Stan. I feel like this is quite schlocky. When you when you talk about just the disjointed nature of it, when you talk about the fact that, I mean, you have all of these wonderful people, you also you have Fred Olin Ray, who just kind of you know oozes schlock in and of himself. It's just... The problem is, is that for us, and I think the disappointing element is that we were hoping for a Sybil Danning movie, and so we wound up watching a Fred Olin Ray movie really without Sybil Danning, and so I think that that while it's probably about a seven schlock, due to the fact that it's in a Sybil Danning season, I'm only going to give it a five schlock. Yeah, um, I'm going with the five as well. Um, I... I would like to go higher that it has some sort of shock of uh, shock appeal because I mean you got mummies, you got Fred Owen Way, Sumel Danning, but in this case it it's not a stew; it's sort of a slurry of of schlock. It, not nothing sticks. The landing on the schlock. So yeah, middle of the road vibe. Yeah, it could be fives all across the board because I got that same score too. I mean, let's face it, this film is is you can't deny that there's a schlock to it because, I mean, you got that cast. And, and that's all you have to say. You got that cast. You got a schlock. What you don't have is it's not as much fun, though, despite having that cast as it should be. With that cast, it should be scoring higher than five. But uh, it fails to, uh, fails to as, as you say, uh, Nick, uh, stick the landing. Five. Well, it's, I'm going to be slightly more generous in this category because I uh... – I I think that it I mean, it's, it suffers from two things, which is one, this is a Sybil Danning season, and we've got three minutes of Sybil Danning, uh, and which it's, almost it does, is a good schlock thing. You have to it, admit, yeah, it's amazing. I, I, I think that I, my extra points are for the the VHS uh, era classic of overpromise under deliver that this film really excels at. <laughs> it's uh, it's 
I, I'm sure someone's going to mention Raiders of the Law, like the Indiana Jones feel and when we get to concept, but it doesn't even doesn't deliver on that either. Like it's just kind of packaged together from a whole bunch of different things that don't actually end up on screen. Uh, Sybil Danning uh, and John Carradine both get star billing for, you know, what was probably an, like, less than an afternoons of work, um, including, including travel time, probably. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, seven for me. Uh, more heart than budget. Um, oh, well, uh, I mean – Budget I saw was one hundred eighty five thousand. One hundred eighty five thousand. Okay. Um, I did not see the budget, but uh, Wikipedia uh, and production only has one line, and the line is, "This was a low budget movie." Yeah, IMDb says one hundred eighty five. So, <laughs> which is which is pretty low for a for a uh, shoot that went to Egypt. <laughs> <laughs> That's the worst duplicate for Egypt in the history of the film. Yes. That's- <laughs> they they say they're going out to the desert, and then everything you see is like kind of lightly lightly wooded scrubland. Yes, like, <laughs> driving distance from L.A. <laughs> yeah. I knew Egypt and L.A. were on the same <laughs> highway, but uh, <laughs> I think that you know this. The thing is, is that this. As we talked about earlier with Sybil Danning, this felt like a favor for Fred Olin Ray. I'm not sure that she got a big amount of money. I'm not sure that anybody got a big amount of money. And it feels... What and, did he hold over her to get her a favor? <laughs> I'm wondering. How about do they know each other? They haven't worked before together, I don't think. But does he have some pictures of her in the nude? Oh, wait. Uh, <laughs> like, what? Anyways, go ahead. But uh, I, you know, for me, I, I... It doesn't feel like anything other than a job for absolutely everybody. And, and you know, like you said, Jack, this does feel like Cameron Mitchell n- not drunk. So, I mean, they weren't even paying yes, him enough to drink. But uh, it was – but at the so I can't go too high. I'm going to go for it. Yeah, I get the feeling that five years after this film was made – if you were to ask any of the principals to list their entire filmography, that no one would remember this film. Not because they're ashamed of it, but because they forgot they were in it. Um, nobody knows what's going on. Um, everyone's phoning it in. Everyone has three days on the set to finish and get out. Um, I'll go as high as a four. Uh, I believe this was written in 10 days and shot in 13, uh, was the statistics I saw. Written in 10 days, shot in 13. Uh, $185,000. Uh, when you have a budget that low, it's hard to not have some heart just by the fact he made the movie. Um, I think Fred Olin Ray, I do believe that he, for him this was, you know, uh, as this is pretty early in his career, uh, actually. So I, I think this is probably a pretty legitimate uh, effort on his end, only on his end. Uh, four is what I'm going to give it. Uh, I'm going to be uh, – I'm going to give it a five. I will point out that they, uh, Fred Olin Ray and uh, Sybil Danning didn't work together before this. But they worked together after this. Uh, she then uh, – she was the lead, at the lead in Phantom Empire that they did a couple of years later. Uh, I think that – Maybe this scene is in Phantom Empire. <laughs> I haven't seen that movie yet. There's – I think uh, it's it's an interesting bit of uh, – a bit of, you know, getting some of these folks like uh, like Cameron and and John who were getting a lot of work at the time and getting them, you know, at at least probably keeping their uh, 
their health benefits up. <laughs> they probably still counted as union work. So <laughs> uh, five, though. Uh, what the fuck moments? Yeah, it's it's interesting because you talk about the Phantom Empire, and the Phantom Empire was my other choice <laughs> instead of this. And it's just like, but Cameron Mitchell put it over the edge, so, well, damn it. <laughs> There's a few, um, it gets interesting right off the bat, when you see Sybil and, of course, and you see, uh, Banning and stuff like that, and, and then they have that, you know, that exchange, which is so terrible, and the opening gun battle, which has no blood whatsoever, and the worst choreography. I mean, people are shooting, and then, like, 12 seconds later, they're getting hit and stuff like that. And then there's the one shot, and the airplane blows up. I mean, it's amazing. And you think to yourself, this is this is fantastic. How can I go wrong with this? And then you jump to the bar scene, and there's that silly band called Pharaoh and the Mummies that are oh, playing. Oh, my God. God. <laughs> I mentioned the music was bad, right? Yes. And they were, and they like, wow, that, that was... That Wasn't was it really Fruity they were singing? Yes, yes, it's it was. It's a three-minute song that made it seem like a half hour. <laughs> and then, and then, of course, you, then finally, I mean, we reached the, we reached the tomb, this, this tomb that's been hidden for decades and decades you know that's that's in the desert of Egypt that sure has a whole lot of trees and green green <laughs> near it and what's my favorite part about the tomb is the fact that it has windows because every hidden tomb has windows <laughs> yeah, it feels like the least hidden tomb in yes. the history of tombs <laughs> and then it's like the whole movie just kind of drops out of like contention and starts being just slapdash and really boring. I mean, there's only, like, you have the single worst cop in the world who just wants to arrest everybody that has, you know, something to do with this and never the right person. And the rest of the movie, I mean, up until the very end where, you know, it's just this kind of convoluted, like, we're trying to make things exciting and a little bit Raiders of the Lost Ark-esque, but it kind of falls flat on its face and truly doesn't stick the landing. So it starts out really good, and it ends really bad, so I'm going to go with a five. Uh, yeah, no, I, I'll, I'll ask you guys, what was was the cop's theory of the murder? Because <laughs> <laughs> he immediately goes, oh, yeah, there was only one thing stolen. And that has nothing to do with mur- murder. Good luck following that up. No, nothing's mixed, nothing's missing except the something? nothing's missing except the victim's heart. <laughs> <laughs> also, that other thing that we forgot that was like supposed to be sitting on the desk. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that was a really valuable object that was sitting on the desk. That's, that's also missing. <laughs> Oh no! Um, I, I think he is. He is. I mean, you know, you always go with who's going to benefit, and you know, so he figures the son and insurance, I guess, because <laughs> the son seems to be trying to clear his name for the rest of the film, despite having no obvious motive. <laughs> yeah. and I also kind of wonder, like, why did they go to such an effort to uh, make the son a playboy type character? I uh, because that way he, I, I can actually say. I think the idea was she's not hot enough for him, but he falls in love with her because of her personality by the end. And that's like his character arc. 
Unfortunately, she's one of those people who's like super hot, but they just put glasses and tied her hair up. Like, is there a typical Hollywood thing to make her not hot? She absolutely has that librarian shake her hair out and become yes. beautiful. Yes. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, well, I guess I should score the w, uh, W2F. Um, yeah, I, I think just basic story incompetent really kind of lowers this score because there's a lot in this movie that I think was, if it was in like a good movie that made sense, the WTF would register more. So I, I think I can only go with, again, I'm going right down the middle five. I, I personally think this is probably its strongest category. Not that it's super strong. I got a six on it. I mean, we mentioned the, the, uh, the cop, uh, there's this, the jiggly scene, um, we mentioned in passing, San mentioned, but it does deserve more. <laughs> One <laughs> bullet causes an entire plane to explode. <laughs> like, that was nuts. Uh, the, just the special effects scene of, of when she takes this, uh, this bug character that she's created, like this bug, magical bug thing, and she sticks it in the gynecologist's chest. And, and it, 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 like, just how bad the special effects are there are worth noting in a WTF for me. So I got a six. I, I think it's, it, you know, if it hadn't been for those moments, this would have been completely unwatchable. It, it made it so that, so that it was a long movie, but to watch, it felt like at 84 minutes, but not an absolute chore. I think, uh, you, so we mentioned Sybil Danning. Uh, she flies in on an airplane. Uh, this is a two-seat Cessna, and then five guys. <laughs> That's, right. That's, That's right. That's right. That's so awesome. The clown awesome. plane, yes. Who, who stand in a close-together lineup uh, for some machine I guns. love that. You know what? She's only in this movie for three minutes, and they still managed to get her uh, in a fight sequence where she hit the worst, like a knee where she like, lifts a knee at somebody, misses it by three feet. I'm like, all of a sudden, all her other fighting scenes that I've talked complained about previously this season seem like they were high-quality, top-end action. And if you notice, most of our what-the-fucks have come from the civil damning four minutes. Three, <laughs> four minutes. Yes. There's a... Uh, after the professor dies and we're introduced to who the the guy who I thought was perhaps the he's the, I thought my my shot for the lead character because I introduced until 40 minutes into the film uh, is the, the professor's uh, son who's also going to university. Uh, and uh, but there's they're in the they're in the office where the professor has been killed and the cops are standing around. And the professor's son is like on a couch. It's not that big a room. And the the detective, who's a very suspicious guy, comes in, and he starts asking some questions. And there's a chalk outline <laughs> of the body that looks straight out of Naked Gun. Yes, <laughs> it's just the most ridiculous chalk outline. And like, like, why would you? Uh, nothing about the scene makes li- the least bit of sense. <laughs> but the chalk outline is just kind of so cartoonish. Uh, there's t- as as was common in the 80s. There's tons and tons of Pepsi product placement in this film. Uh, Pepsi was uh, was doing a push uh, and uh, just seemed to support every movie at the time. And uh, so there's tons of like little of like cans everywhere and stuff. My favorite is they're all in this. Uh, they, they stop by this like kind of sandwich shop 
uh, it's not a bar. It's more of like, it looks kind of half outdoory sandwich place. And they're chatting with like the banning and the, and the, uh, and the professor's son. This is like one of the only scenes they have together. And on the, right behind them on the wall is a giant Pepsi product placement, but it's a thermometer and they're inside. <laughs> <laughs> And it just it kind of like took me out of the seat. I'm like, well, why why is that there? Why is that like it's product placement? <laughs> product why haven't we seen if Pepsi's in all these movies, why haven't we seen a, a film yet where there's a sex scene and for no reason the chick pours the Pepsi <laughs> on her chest? Oh V eight, you're still the winner. Uh six for me as well. I think it's uh i think the the nonsensicalness of the whole of the overall film itself as uh, worth some points. Uh, memorable moments. There's not going to be much. I mean, this, the fact that this had Sybil Danning for three minutes was definitely, you know, uh, will be memorable in and of itself. But my favorite line comes near the end with one of the characters, and I can't remember, like, who, who I don't even feel should have said the line, but the line is, stop in the name of Amen Ra. And it's just like, wait, why did you just say that? Like, like, did you suddenly become an Egyptian, you know, like, like Egyptian police or something like that? No, nope. So it very, very out of, uh, out of place, but a funny line. Um, three. Yeah. Three, I will remember this film when I figure out what movie that Sybil Danning scene is actually from. Other than that, I won't think about this film ever again. Three. Uh, yeah, I got it a two, and that's all for Kitten Natividad. <laughs> that's it. That's the only thing that's memorable. That was memorable. It has I, to be. It, took, it lasted like five minutes for no reason. <laughs> fair point. I have to be uh, rough on it in this category because I will fess up now that I had seen this film and forgot. <laughs> <laughs> so I did not realize it until after we had done all the selection. I'm like, wait a second. I don't think Civil Danny's in that much of that movie. <laughs> so one. <laughs> um, <laughs> How far into that movie, into this movie, did you make it before you remembered you'd seen it? Oh. Uh Probably right after Sybil Danning's scene. Okay. Uh, like, once, once the you know, once our hero who has who's in half the film, uh, Danning, Banning shows up, then uh, th- then it came back to me. Like, Wait, now I know this movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right, crazy concept. They had a concept, which is which is amazing in and of itself that that they uh, purport to have taken some of this from a Bram Stoker novel. Um, you know, they didn't act like they had a concept with this. I think that, as we've said, feels like a whole bunch of movies kind of tacked together. Which, I mean, we see a lot of that kind of thing in our business here, but this one doesn't do it particularly well. I'm going to go with the three. Yeah, I mean it has a has a concept. It's like let's make a move a uh, mummy film. It's the execution and you know maybe the script that's missing, not concept. So yeah, uh, three. Uh, yeah, let's see. We have the uh, loose adaptation of a generic, not very famous novel from a famous author. Um, two. I'm not sure it's not based on Bram Stoker's Dracula though. 
It's not. It's not. And, and from what I understand is if you read the novel, there will be no doubt you'll sit there and go, oh, yeah, this is definitely an adaptation of it. But, yeah, not good. <laughs> what What is it actually? Based? Uh, the Jewel of Seven Stars is the name of yeah. the, uh, the book it's based on. I, I'm going to be more charitable in this because uh, all of you have talked about how common it is to do a pitch for a mummy film. Uh, this one does not have a mummy in it. Uh, I think that that alone. <laughs> mm-hmm. They, they, when push came to shove, they're like, "Do you want it? We're going to do a sexy mummy movie in that she's going to be a vampire." <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So, yes. She's just going to be in tombs. Ha- hanging ar- hanging around in a sarcophagus. Yes. Like yes, ex- ex- that's that's my point. <laughs> it's that everything, everything is set up to be a mummy, and then she's a vampire. Um, <laughs> So five, uh, it uh, this, that brings uh, this film after all of our balloting. I've got to go all the way to the bottom of the octagon here to find out. <laughs> does it? It does not quite. It makes it into the bottom twenty of the octagons. So it's still uh, uh, not as bad as it could have been, I guess. So Cameron Mitchell and Sybil Danning gave it uh, quite a lot of points. Uh, Forty-two out of one hundred, which. Uh, ties it with New Year's Evil right behind Race with the Devil. And I, I challenge you to remember what Race with the Devil was. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, I, I love Race with the Devil. I remember Race with the Devil. Yes. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. It's the Winnebago film. Oh, yeah, yeah. And right ahead of Shoot Fighter, Fight to the Death. Now that oh, I don't man. remember. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I remember Shoot Fighter. <laughs> so, no, it's... Uh, all right, well, basically, with that review, I think what we can say is, uh, don't watch it, folks. We watched it for you. Instead, go to the top 20 of the Octagon and make sure you see those damn films. Yeah, I, I think that, yeah, I think it suffered more for being thought of, in our case, as a Sybil Danning movie. I think that if we had just gone into it knowing that it wasn't a Sybil Danning movie, or, or not caring and just being like, we want to watch a Fred Olin Ray movie with Cam Mitchell and that kind of thing, I think it probably would have done slightly better by, like, maybe five to six points. That's about it. Maybe. Maybe. It still would have lacked a good concept, a crazy concept, and it lacked it lacked memorable moments. No question, they're still, they're still weak there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Regardless. So, yeah, let's move on. What's the next film? The next film is uh, from Jim, and it's They're Playing With Fire. And uh, more Sybil Danning to be had. So that's that's a positive. That um, one has more Sybil Danning. Yeah. Much more, yes. And now, let's do some business, Jim. All right. Well, we are on uh, Instagram. And Patreon at Cult Film Showdown, uh, and uh, also on YouTube, Cult Film Showdown. We're subscribed there, and uh, we are sponsored by WeTalkPodcast.com. That is the home of the Octagon, where you can find the complete list of our search for the ultimate B movie, um, also sorted by every each of the five categories as well as the final scores. And We Talk Podcast has a Facebook, and they have a Twitter. Excellent, excellent. Well, there's no real reason to belabor this episode. Uh, join us next time for They're Playing With Fire, where we will talk more about Sybil Danning. And Sibilance wraps up next next episode, and we get to talk about the movies that we're going to be doing for our canon-themed show shows. So anyways, anybody have anything else to add? 
You're going to see much more civil damage. <laughs> much more civil damage. <laughs> I make the same joke. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So for Jim and for Jack and for Nick, I am your host, 8th Dan Stanadu, and thank you for listening to the Cult Film Showdown. <laughs>